Steve and the singers, great song. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, I want you to turn there with me, and I'm going to be beginning a series today that I think will last about three weeks, and I'm going to call it Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie, subtitled, The Power of a Disciplined Life. The Power of a Disciplined Life. Steady Eddie. We're going to believe God to get us steady Eddie in the things of God. Today, I'm going to call this message, the first message in the series, Holy Habits. Holy Habits. When I say that, I feel like Batman or Robin. (laughs) Holy habit, Batman. Now, see, you'll never forget it. What do you preach on? Holy habit. We're going to talk about holy habits today. Now, I want to dive into the the, uh, life of Jesus, one verse, Luke 4, 16. And it's explaining something about Christ and what is called the mystery years. The mystery years are the years from his birth, right around two years old, to the time he appeared on the scene at 30. We know very little about the mystery years. But here it's going to tell us something about him. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his habit was. Now your Bible might say custom. It's the same word. As his habit was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read as his habit was. So we know this about the childhood of Jesus. As a young boy, as a teenager, as a young man, he had a church habit. He had a church habit. Church in those days was the synagogue, and he would go, his habit, on the Sabbath, like this. And he would listen to the Word of God read. That was his habit. Now turn to Daniel chapter 6. If you don't know where Daniel is, go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets. And right after Ezekiel, you'll come upon Daniel. I hope you brought your sword with you. If you come to church, you ought to bring your sword in case somebody attacks you. Bring your sword. So open your swords to Daniel 6, verse 10. Now here we're having a glimpse into Daniel's life. Very important. Daniel has just received word that Nebuchadnezzar has commanded the entire kingdom to bow down to a statue of himself. And Daniel is refusing and at danger of his life. Daniel 6.10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem where everybody could see him, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, morning, noon, and evening, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his habit since early days. From the time he was a little child, Daniel had a habit. He had a holy habit. Three times a day, he bowed, he prayed, and he thanked God. Three times a day. Father, I thank you for your word today. Bless us. And I thank you, Lord, for making us steady, Eddie, in holy habits. Thank you for removing the bad ones, replacing them with good ones. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, holy habit. <laughs> now, I'm going to share some things with you today that if you will do the word you hear, will change your life. I highlight Jesus and Daniel to point out something important about their lives. And I've already told you what it is, but let's just, again, look at it. They both had cultivated habits that were non-negotiable, even at the cost of their life. Daniel, thrown to the lion's den because of a holy habit. But he said, this habit in my life is non-negotiable. I will not negotiate this habit. It's a holy habit, the habit of prayer. These habits, the habit of church, the habit of prayer, sustained them, served as anchors for them, kept them strong and kept them steady through all the storms of life. They're habits. And that's what good habits do. They keep you strong, steady, eddy through all the storms of life. Jesus had a church habit. As his habit was, he attended services on the Sabbath to hear the reading of the Word, and he did it every week, and he was God. He wrote the Word, but he went and heard it. Now, did he hear it because he needed it, or was he just being an example? Well, I know for sure he was being an example, and we're to follow that example. He had a church habit, and it was a holy habit. Daniel had a prayer habit. As his habit was, he knelt down, imagine that, morning, noon, and night. And he thanked the living God, and then he gave God petitions. And when you look at Daniel's life, it's easy to connect the dots between his habits and the man he became. Your habits will make you or your habits will break you. Daniel's prayer habit, Jesus' church habit, through thick and thin, the ups and downs of life, good days and bad, no matter what life threw at them, Jesus and Daniel were steady, eddy, consistent in the habits, the holy habits of their life. Now, I've got to tell you, we are creatures of habit. Everybody here today has got a habit. You've got many habits in your life. We all have cultivated habits. Now, where are you, a steady eddy? Where are you, a steady Eddie? What areas of your life are predictable? If I were to ask somebody who lived with you or who knows you really well, say, what's their habit? What would they tell me? We've all got habits. What's non-negotiable in your life? What are you willing to pay a price for? What habits are, are controlling your days, your time, your mind, your energy? If you're like me, you've got some good, and you've got some that could stand some tweaking, some Holy Ghost tweaking. You know what I've come today to do? Tweak. Tweak, tweak. I'm going to tweak a little bit. I'm going to tweak the habits. Because how many of you can say, I've got some, and they need Holy Ghost tweaking? You know, it's funny. Our bad habits are like a comfortable bed, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. Our good habits are like a strong, healthy body. They sustain us through all the stresses and the tests of life. And that's what I'm wanting to get over to us in the next few weeks. 
There needs to be some habits in our life that no matter what is happening, if the sun is shining or it's cloudy and lightning and storming, whether we're up or down, doing well or not doing well, those habits, holy habits, are ingrained in us so that no matter what comes, what life dishes out, you'll find us moving in, functioning in, and being sustained by those holy habits. This is what they were for Jesus and for Daniel. Steady Eddie in church attendance, steady Eddie in prayer habits. They fueled their lives with strength and with victory. And that's what good habits do. D.L. Moody said, if you want to stay filled with the Spirit, stay close to the spout. If you want to stay filled with the Spirit, stay close to the spout. And you know what good habits do? They keep you close to the spout. If I've got a habit with the Word, and I've got a habit with prayer, and I've got a habit with worship, and I've got a habit with church attendance, and I'm going to fellowship no matter what, and I'm going to read no matter what, I don't put my Bible down if I'm going through tough times. I don't get away from prayer if times are dry. I've got this habit. I've got holy habits like Daniel and like Jesus. They will sustain me. They will keep me close to the spout where the glory comes out. They'll keep me in touch with God. They'll keep me grounded in the Word. They'll keep my faith strong. They will keep me in fellowship where I receive encouragement because I need you and you need me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I need you. Now turn to the other side and say, you really do look better than you did last week. <laughs> Amen. Good, good habits keep you close to the spout. Good habits. Bad habits will keep you far away from it. Bad habits will keep you down. Bad habits will keep you defeated. So it's very important for us to understand how habits get into our life and how to break a bad habit if we need to, how to break a bad habit so that we can replace it with a good habit that keeps us close to the spout where the glory comes out, close to the Lord, close in our walk. Now, where do habits then begin? Where do they come from? How are they worked into? How do they become a part of our life? How do you get a habit? I'm going to tell you today, all habits begin with a thought. They all begin with a thought. The thought becomes an action. Repeated actions form habits. And habits form character. And character decides destiny. That's why habits are important. That's why we need to take a good look at whatever it is in our life. If it's a good one, praise God. If it's not a good one, the Holy Ghost wants to replace it with something good. I'm going to say this again. Habits, all habits begin with a thought. We think something. Maybe I will. Maybe I should. Guess I'll try it. It begins with a thought. The thought becomes an action. Once it becomes an action, it becomes repeated actions. And with repeated actions, you form a habit. And habits form your character. You today are the sum total of what your habits have made you. Because if your habits have taken you close to God, God has had plenty of time to work on you and form character in your life. 
That's why I tell you it matters who you run with and it matters what you read. Tell me what you're reading and tell me who you're running with and I'll give you a strong prediction of where you're going to be in five years. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. A teacher was trying to um, share this principle with some of her kids and she pulled out a piece of kite string and she called one of the boys up front. She said, now class, watch. I'm going to show you about habits. And she wrapped the kite string around his hand one time. And she said, now, can you break it? And he said, oh, sure, I can break it. And he pushed and the kite string, of course, broke. She said, that's one decision. Now, watch. And she wound it around one, two, three, ten times. She said, now break it. She said, I can't break it. She said, that's because repeated action brings a habit. When you first decide it, you've got it. But once you've repeated it, it's got you. For good or for bad. The good news today is that habits can be good ones. We all, we think of the word habit as being a negative, but habit is a positive because God gave us the ability to form habits in our life so that something becomes second nature after a while. And if it's a good thing, you're going to be blessed constantly because of your habit. Now watch this. When the Spirit of God enters our lives at the point of salvation, at the top of his top ten list, I guarantee you, is to destroy the bad habits that have been destroying you and replace them with good habits that will glorify him and bless you. I'm going to say that again. When the Holy Ghost comes into your life, he immediately begins to meddle. He goes into all the rooms of your soul. He goes into the places where habits from the past, where the string has been wound around 10 and 20 times, and now it's a habit. He comes and he says, I want to break that. I've got the anointing that breaks the yoke. I have come to set you free. Lazarus came out of the grave, but then they said, loose him and let him go. And what did they do? They unwound grave clothes off of him that were making him walk like this. He was resurrected, but he still needed to be unwound. We get resurrected, but we still need to have the habits that are wound around our lives, broken, because the Holy Ghost wants to set us free. Don't you know when those grave clothes came off of him, he did a Pentecost dance? Come on, everybody. I guarantee you. He didn't stand there and say, well, that was really something to be dead four days, and now I'm risen from the dead. Let's go get a hamburger. I tell you, as soon as those grave clothes came off, he did a Holy Ghost run. He was excited. Everybody there fainted. It was a glorious moment. Resurrected, but then he had to be set free. I'm talking to you today about holy habits, how to establish holy habits. And sometimes to establish holy habits, the bad ones have got to be broken. And the Holy Ghost will do with you and me exactly what Christ did with Lazarus when he came out of the dead. He'll unwind us and set us free. God wants to make us steady eddies in the habits of righteousness. Martin Luther said this, and I love this quote. He said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant my garden anyway. Why does that speak to me? 
Because it tells me garden there is a metaphor. It's only a symbol. If I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would still move and operate and function in my holy habits. A person of righteous habits would say this. If I knew the world would end tomorrow, I'd still pray, I'd still worship, and I'd still listen to his word as my habit has been. I've got a habit, and I don't care if the world is ending tomorrow. I'm still going to do what I've been doing since I was a child. I've prayed. I've listened to his word. I've fellowshiped. I've worshiped him. If I knew that Christ was coming back this afternoon, I would worship the Lord. I'd make sure there was nothing, not the smallest thing that needed to be repented of. And I would do what I've been doing all these years. I wouldn't change because I'm steady Eddie in some things. Thank God for the grace of God. There are some things that aren't ever going to change about me. And there needs to be some things that don't ever change about you. You want somebody coming up to you 30 years from now saying, you're still going to church. You're still worshiping God. You're still reading that Bible. Say, you better believe it. And those habits have made me who I am. Can you say with me, holy habits? So how do you tear down a destructive habit? If you've got a destructive habit in your life, how do you tear it down? Smoking, overeating, here's a few. Mismanaging your money, watching too much TV, Drugs, alcohol, and so on and so forth. Habits. The string went around once, you were okay, but now it's been wound around many, many, many times, and you can't break it. You've got a a bad habit. You've got a habit of sin, and it's got you. How do you tear it down, and how do you replace it with holy habits like Jesus and Daniel? Well, first of all, let me give you some tips, and this is going to help a lot of you to get free. The first thing you do is you weigh the payoff and the trade-off. You weigh the payoff and the trade-off. What do I mean? You wouldn't be doing that bad habit if there wasn't some kind of a payoff. If there wasn't a payoff, you wouldn't be doing it. If there wasn't a payoff, the devil would have not successfully carried you into it. There's got to be a payoff. If there was no payoff, you would not do it. You wouldn't be involved in it. It's doing something for you or you wouldn't keep going back to it. It's the taste of that chocolate cake. You were fine going down the Luby's line. You got fish. You got green beans. You avoided the gravy. You were feeling great until you got to that dessert area. And then you heard the Holy Ghost. See that chocolate pie? You deserve a break today. Go ahead, just run when you get home. You'll walk it off. Of course, you never do. And so, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, you got it. Believing the verse where Paul said, I buffet my body. And you ate it, and later you felt bad about it. It's the rush of excitement, that rush of excitement from your shopping spree. Every time you spend that money, there's a rush. You get that new stuff, there's a rush. You go into that mall and it does something to you. There's a payoff. It's the escape from reality through those drugs. For a period of time, you can forget about the money issues, the relationship issues, the relationships that have been failing, the stresses that you're under. You just touch that drug, snort it, shoot it, smoke it, whatever it is. And for a while, you don't think about reality. There's a payoff. 
or you wouldn't do it. Or the buzz from that alcohol. It's a payoff. And that's why you go back and go back and go back. You wouldn't go back if there were no payoff. The Bible even admits there is pleasure in sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a season. But the next thing you've got to consider is the trade-off. For every payoff, there's a trade-off. Consider the payoff and then consider the trade-off. And you know what you find when it's a bad habit? The trade-off is never worth the payoff. I said the trade-off is never worth the payoff. Because the trade-off lasts longer than the payoff. The trade-off is when you come down and realize what you've done. The trade-off is when you realize what you're losing, that every time you involve yourself in that bad habit, whatever it is, it's a trade-off that is negative. It's a trade-off that robs from you, takes from you, steals from you, reduces you, seduces you. The trade-off is never worth the payoff. The devil keeps you there with the payoff, but the trade-off always comes someday, some way, comes payday. Sinfully bad habits cut us off from God, drain us of motivation, drain us of time, drain us of money. Hold you back from living the life God has called you to. They minimize your joy and maximize regret. The trade-off is never worth the payoff unless it's something that is righteous. If it's a righteous habit, the payoff is not as good as the trade-off because what you sow, you reap. And if you minister to people, pray, worship God, There's an immediate payoff of joy and peace and fulfillment. But then when you reap on payday, what you sow always comes back greater than what you uh, uh, originally, what you reap comes back greater than what you sowed. You reap a field when you sowed a seed. There's a forest of trees and one acorn. So it works both ways. But I'm talking about breaking bad habits today and getting good ones. Can you say again, holy habits? We're talking about establishing holy habits in our life because we can establish holy ones just like we had bad ones. And that's the good news. When weighed in the balances, the thrill of the payoff is never worth the pain of the trade-off. Not ever. It's never worth it. And so you go through this cycle of payoff and then the trade-off. Whatever the payoff is giving you, then you face the trade-off And you go through the same old cycle. It wasn't worth it. I feel bad about myself. I'm walking around ashamed. I come to church with tuckhead. You know what tuckhead is? It's when somebody stares at the ground and won't look you in the eye because they're feeling ashamed. And that's what the trade-off is for a bad habit. It's never worth it. Can you say with me, it's never worth it. If you're in, if you've got a habit in your life that always gives you a negative trade-off, then God wants to make a trade with you. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'm here today to tweak those habits. I'm here to give you some good news. The Holy Ghost has come to bless you, not curse you, build you up, not tear you down. If he takes something out of your life, it's because he wants to replace it with something far, far better where the trade-off is better than the payoff. So once you've looked at the two and you've weighed them in the balances, payoff, trade-off, and you see that the trade-off is never, never worth it and there needs to be a change, how do you change? You agree with God. 
You agree with God about your habit. Hear me today. You will never be set free. You will never be delivered. You will never experience change in your life until you agree with God. You agree with God's take on what you're involved in. You've got to agree with God. You can never repent until you agree with God. Repentance means I agree with God and I turn from what I know is destroying me and grieving the Holy Ghost and ruining my Christian walk. I turn from it and I turn to the living God. I turn around. Repentance is not a negative word. It's a beautiful word. It's a great, big, glorious oak door. When you repent, that door swings open and the life of Christ is poured into your life. When you repent, the most precious verse says, if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and make us clean from all our wrongdoing. Isn't that good? He will keep his promise if we confess. I can't confess, confess until I agree with him and his take on my sin. Then I confess. And guess what happens? This is beautiful. The moment you repent, God sends grace into your struggle. Until you repent, you're fighting that monster alone. Until you repent, it's you up against an 800-pound gorilla. But when you repent, God sends his grace into your struggle. And what is grace? Strength. It is strength. Grace equals strength. When you repent and humble yourself in the presence of God, and you can't repent without humbling yourself, when you humble yourself in the presence of God, God opens up his hands and he pours grace, strength into your life. And that grace is the strength to overcome. I can't tell you how important it is to be humble in front of God. God goes this far. God says, I'm going to resist. I'm going to keep at arm's length. I'm going to push people away from me who are proud. But to the humble, I bow towards them. I extend grace, and grace is poured out upon their life. That's why it's so good to go in the presence of This is why Daniel was so blessed. Three times a day, he's on his knees. Thank you, God. Here's my petitions. And we know Daniel as this incredible prophet, this man of God. I connect the dots. I look at his habits, and I look at him, and I see dots all the way. His habits made him what he was. Humility in the presence of God is a beautiful thing. And he gives grace. Do you know that even Paul admitted to this struggle? Paul said, what I want to do, that's not what I do. What I don't want to do, that's the thing I find myself doing. I'm the mighty, brilliant, genius theologian. But I got something attacking me. What I want to do, that is not what I do. What I don't want to do, that's the very thing I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then he gives the answer, thank God, Jesus Christ will. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is my answer. He's got the anointing that breaks the yoke. He's got the anointing that sets the captive free. He's got the anointing to unwind the grave clothes. What I brought out of my grave of sin and degradation, 
What I brought out of it, he unwinds it and takes it off of me. Praise God. But it happens when I repent. Say this with me. When I bow down, grace comes down. Listen to what James wrote. God gives more and more grace and strength to stand against all evil longings. Do you hear that? God gives grace. And that grace equals strength. And what does it strengthen me to do? To stand against all evil longings. I don't stand against them in my own strength. When I humble myself in the presence of God, he says, here's some grace. Suddenly something rises up within me that is not me. Paul talked about it and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Who can be against me if God is for me? I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me and died for me and rose again from the dead. He is mighty in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He gave us an anointing of grace on the inside. And that gives us the power to resist evil longing hallelujah so say it again when I bow down grace comes down once you've repented you're not fighting the habit alone anymore he has stood up on the inside of you and he's going to help you now you've realized the trade-off isn't worth it you've repented And God's grace is there to help. The trade-off isn't worth it. I've repented. I've humbled myself. And now I've got grace. Now what? Now I'm going to tell you a key to getting free of a bad habit. Listen carefully. You're going to have to make an exchange. You're going to have to make an exchange. There's something I heard a long time ago that I've never forgotten. It's a a, uh, physiological, it's it's a sort of a physicist truth. It's a truth about nature. It says this, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. If you leave a vacuum in nature, something's going to fill it. That's true politically. That's true spiritually. It's true with you. Now, let me tell you, the spirit world abhors a vacuum. If you kick something out, something else has got to replace it because a vacuum and emptiness will not sit there for long. Are you with me, church? If you walk away from a bad habit, it's more than just walking away. You're going to have to make an exchange because your soul will abhor and reject a vacuum. You're going to fill it with something, so you've got to make an exchange. You will never win against a bad habit by just giving something up. You did what you did and you do what you do to meet a need. That's how you got the bad habit. Now I'm going to say something maybe you haven't thought about. Most of the bad habits were taking care of right needs the wrong way. More times than not, there's nothing wrong with the need. It's the way you met the need that became wrong and got you in a bad habit. Notice, I'll give you an example. Paul said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, you're tense. You're not feeling right. You're kind of blue. You take a little bit of wine, and then a little bit more, and then you're drunk. And he said, what you did, you met a right need the wrong way. 
He said, here's the right way. I want you to learn to access the Holy Ghost. I want you to learn to access the things of God. Now, church, I'm talking to you today because I I believe that there is a level of blindness in the church, and I'm not necessarily talking about you, but the devil counts on the church not understanding how to access what God has given us to meet our needs. See, here we are. Esau comes out of the forest. He's been hunting all day long. He's starving. Who's waiting for him? Jacob. What does Jacob have? He has a hot steaming bowl of wolf brand chili. (laughs) How long since you had some of this, Esau? Well, that's too long. And he breathes it his way. He says, I'll give you this chili porridge. It was made with venison. He knew that Esau was a hunter and loved what he brought in from the field. So he was waiting for him to meet a legitimate hunger in an illegitimate way. So he said, I'll give this to you if you'll give me your birthright. I want your birthright. I just want your birthright. And he was so hungry. He said, got it. And he made a bad trade. The payoff was not worth the trade-off. Because it says later he sought for that birthright with tears and could not get it back. I'm showing you the way the devil works. He sees you with a need. You're lonely. You're hungry. You need peace. You need to unstress. And here's where the devil comes in. He pulls out his rod and reel. And plop right in front of your face. It looks like an answer to that need. It goes past you. And like a bass... You don't check it out. You don't think much about it. You go, there it is. And before you know it, you're being pulled in a way that you did not want to go. And you're being hauled up into a boat you didn't want to be in. And you're facing a creature you did not want to encounter. What happened? legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. Is anybody hearing me today? That's the way the devil works. And he is a master at doing that, at tricking us up. He's a master at it. And so you've got to hear me on this now today. I'm talking about establishing holy habits, becoming steady eddies, in a righteous lifestyle like Jesus and Daniel. You first got to let go of bad habits. How do you break them? The only way to break old sinful habit patterns is replace them with new ones. Now, I want you to remember that you got into the bad one by repeated habit, or by, uh, sorry, repeated action. You got into it by repeated action. You did it, and you did it, and you did it, and then finally it was a habit. And that's exactly how you're going to get out of it. You went in incrementally, you're going to come out incrementally. You didn't go in overnight, you're not coming out overnight unless God gives you a great miracle. And if you get one of those, praise God. But if you don't, you went in by steps, you're coming out by steps. You went down that slippery slope, you're coming up that slippery slope. Step by step, decision by decision. But you've got to break that habit. You've got to make an exchange. You've got to change your direction. The old habit pattern must be broken, and the needs have got to be met the right way. And so you may have to break some old friendships. I had to. Because those friendships are tearing you down. You know that if you get around those people, 
you are not going to succeed. They may be neat, they may be nice, they may be genuine friends in the sense of the soul, but their lifestyles are tearing you down, and you've got to run with people who pull you up. I'm going to tell you the truth about me. I'd rather hang around with a nerd than a cool sinner. I told you I was going to meddle. I hear y'all. Man, I came to be told I was going to get rich or something. I didn't count on this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can you say with me, holy habits? Break old friendships. You may have to avoid people, places, or things that weaken you. You're going to, you're going to have to find another way. You're going to have to change your behavior. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't feel like it. Your feelings will not lead you to truth. Your feelings are not a way to truth. Your feelings will lead you astray. The Bible says a fool listens to all of his feelings. Your feel, wisdom is what will lead you the right way. You say, well, what if I don't feel like it? I'm constantly tempted. Listen, as you change your behavior, as you receive an exchange, you exchange the old friends for new, old places for new, old hangouts for new. Old habits for new ones. Feeling will follow behavior. You're not led by feelings. Your feelings follow your behavior. Do you remember the first time you took a drag off a cigarette? <laughs> your body said, this ain't right. But you kept doing it. And you kept doing it. And you kept doing it. Until finally, ah. I used to be a smoker. I was a Marlboro kid. I know the feeling. You got to undo it. You got to change. You got to change behavior. I recently read of a man who used to go to a bar every night after work. He didn't identify himself as an alcoholic, just a regular social drinker. He'd leave his office parking lot, turn right, go two blocks, and pull into the bar's parking lot to have a drink to unwind. Lots of people in his company did. Some came in once in a while. Some came regularly. Of those who came regularly, some had a drink and some went home. Eventually, some of those who stayed had to be pried off the bar stools. Those who still had families were in the process of losing them, and I was watching it happen. He wanted to quit. He didn't want to lose his family. He wanted to drive past that parking lot on his way to the freeway to get home and sit down to dinner with his wife and kids to see them and enjoy them while it was still daylight. But it was as if he was an iron robot and the bar a great magnet. One day he asked a friend how he could find the strength to not turn into the bar's parking lot, beat this habit, beat this lifestyle. The friend said wisely, next time you leave work, turn left instead of right. Drive a few blocks down and pick up the freeway at another entrance. Why subject yourself to the lure of a bar two blocks on your right? Avoid it. Break your habit earlier before the routine can kick in. 90% of defeating temptation is avoiding the scene of temptation. Avoid the scene. We're breaking a habit. We're establishing holy habits. At first he thought it sounded too easy. But he saw his friend a couple of months later and reported with joy that he hadn't been in the bar once in the interval. 
Funny thing, he said, my habit used to seem overwhelmingly strong, but once I just took another route, it gave me an out. Sometimes it's just that simple. Another route, another friendship, another hangout, another path, another road, another route will give you an out, and the habit will begin to change and fall apart and weaken and break. And now you're not just leaving that, but now you're getting into the Word. You're worshiping. You're praying. You're hanging around with fellowship. You're calling brothers, if you're a brother, and saying, here's my problem. Here's my issue. Let's fight together. I need you. You need me. There's something I can't do. There's some places I cannot go. And if I'm turning left instead of right, I want to be able to call you and tell you I'm tempted to turn left instead of right. Well, let's pray right now. And you pray. And just exposing it, just bringing it out, breaks 90% of its power. We need one another. I need you. You need me. It's time we started fighting Slewfoot, who fights in the dark, who fights in the shadows. We've got to bring him to the light. And as you do that, that old habit begins to weaken. It croaks, it groans, it squeals, it complains, but finally it dies like a fish you pull out of the lake that flops around on the pier for a while, and then it dies. And you look back and you go, it doesn't have me anymore. It doesn't have me anymore. Now I gotta have, I'm gonna tell y'all, I'm an addict, I'm hooked. You say, what on? Addiction is used one time in the New Testament. And it's used for those who are addicted to ministering to people. I'm addicted. I got to have my fix every week. But I don't snort it. I don't drink it. I don't shoot it. I don't smoke it. I live it. It's the Holy Ghost in fire and it's keeping me alive. Kathy and I will go on vacation. She'll say, you having fun? Oh, I'm having fun. Well, what's the matter? I'm just missing preaching. We're on vacation. Ah, <laughs> oh, but there's something about just getting up here and ministering the Word of God. This has not worked for me. Yes. Find what God has called you to do and do it. And you'll never work another day in your life. Amen. This is my joy. I'm getting a fix right now, fixing you. <laughs> and I got hooked a long time ago, and it only gets worse. Soon, if you break that old one and begin to establish new ones, righteous habits will replace the old, and they'll start saying of you, he or she prayed today, went to church today, read the Word today, as is their habit. Can you stand with me? Well, how many of you needed this today? Amen. Can you say with me, weigh the payoff and the trade-off. Humble yourself and repent. And choose to exchange old behavior for new. And God will begin to set you free. Unwrap the grave clothes. Amen. Father, we thank you today that you have come to set us free. And we pray, Lord, that 
old habits and sinful habits and bad habits will be broken off of us as Lazarus was unbound. And Lord, that you will continue to set us free to serve you, free to bless you. Now, if you've got a habit like this in your life, as Steve plays, I want you to give it to God. And I want you to say, Lord, today is the end for this habit. I give it to you. And I receive the the grace to overcome it. And I will make the exchanges you show me to make. I'll obey you. And I will be free. Go ahead and pray. Amen.